Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Basketball Conference ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. I cover Georgia Tech for From the Rumble Seat on the SB Nation Network. Joining me as always, my co-host, Mike McDaniel of InsideTheACC.com. Mike, we're back here for episode four, hopefully sounding better and smarter than ever, but I guess time will tell on that one. Yeah, uh, we'll definitely sound better anyway. Um, smarter, well, only time will tell. Drop us a review. Um, so episode four, we got three more previews tonight. Can't believe by the time this podcast drops, it'll already be August, um, inching closer and closer to football season. Yeah, what are we, about 35 days now? Um yeah, if you, uh, if you listen to this podcast and you kind of think that maybe we don't sound all that smart, don't be afraid to at us on Twitter. Uh, I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel ACC, and we are at BC Podcast ACC. Um, but, Mike, like you said, we are inching close to the season. Uh, it's about time to get that started. Uh, we, last week we talked about the ACC kickoff and kind of some of the ins and outs of that. And one of the things that kind of dropped with that was the preseason all-ACC teams. Kind of wanted to cover those tonight um felt like there was kind of a a lack of creativity if you'll call it that uh with how these teams kind of turned out uh tell me if you hear a pattern here so the offense the schools are clemson virginia tech florida state clemson florida state clemson pitt clemson 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 florida state north carolina on defense you've got florida state pitt clemson louisville clemson louisville louisville clemson north carolina florida state virginia and then one of your specialists is also from Clemson. So uh, kind of obvious who the uh, the two powers that be in the conference are right now, if you just look from a, a straight talent standpoint, I have to say. Yeah, and I was going to say, um, you know, when considering that anyway, it's like, okay, Clemson, Florida State, leaps and bounds above everybody. And now the preseason ACC, which preseason all-ACC team, which, you know, doesn't even matter. Um, in the grand scheme of things, confirms it. Okay, on paper, Clemson and Florida State are the two best teams, which is what we thought all along anyway. Yeah, you know once you've got some stats from the season, at least to go along with this, that some of these names will change out. There might be injuries, you know, at, at certain guys, certain positions. Uh, you might have stars in the making that nobody's prepared for. But uh, overall, kind of, yeah, what you expected, some of the big names from the biggest teams in the, in the conference right now, and they all just happen to be concentrated around Clemson and Florida State. Um, were there any interesting kind of omissions to you or interesting inclusions in particular? Well, I think starting out looking at one player in particular from Virginia Tech, Kenny Kane on the defensive end. Now, it's not a huge surprise that he's not on the list um, necessarily just because he had kind of a down year last year. But if you looked at what he did in the two seasons prior, he was one of the best defensive ends in the ACC. He was pretty underrated just due to the fact that Daddy Nicholas was playing on the same defensive line as he was, and he was getting all the accolades and um, getting all the recognition for Virginia Tech. So Kenny Canem is one guy at defensive end that if Virginia Tech's going to have a good season, um, he's going to have to play extremely well on the defensive line. Another omission for me, Mike Williams, uh, Clemson wide receiver, obviously broke his neck in the opener last year. 
was expected to be a big part of that Clemson offense. It was one of the top offenses in the country last year without him. So I think he can bounce back and have a big year. And then there's one additional guy, Joey, that I know you're going to you're going to talk to here in a second that we kind of referred to uh, before we came on. So I'll let you talk about him real quick. Yeah, one quick note about the guys that you mentioned. Both were, were pretty close to being that selection. Uh, Mike Williams, the number four wide receiver, only three of them were selected. And uh, Kenna Canem, the number four defensive end, only two of which were selected. So not too far out of the running uh, for what for what this was. But like you said, uh, there's a guy that I do want to talk about, and that's James Conner, a guy that was the ACC player of the year two years ago. Last year we mentioned last week, uh, torn ACL, uh, as well as a cancer diagnosis. Uh, if he can come back and be back in form, I think that's a guy that very easily could w- make his way onto the postseason list uh, when it comes down to it. Other guys that may have a chance to get in on this, uh, guys like Lamar Jackson at Louisville and Brad Kaya could unseat Deshaun Watson. Uh, that would likely require some injury concerns. I think Mike and I, we both made our, our ourselves pretty clear that we think Deshaun Watson is far away, far and away the best quarterback in the country. Uh, so for him to not even be named All-ACC would take some pretty extraneous circumstances. Um, but, you know, plenty of talent across the board in, in this conference. Um, might be concentrated on more teams than you know on some teams more so than others but uh top to bottom a pretty good list and and potentially some guys you could see in the nfl moving forward yeah definitely and i was going to say we're talking about snubs from the list i guess we should tell the people uh who who actually comprises the list um we spoke about the schools obviously heavy on clemson clemson florida state um but like you mentioned there are three wide receivers only one tight end chosen, then there are two offensive tackles, two guards in the center, and then two running backs and only one quarterback on the offensive side of the ball. So when looking at the offense, Artavis Scott from Clemson made the list, obviously just based off of the year he had last year. Isaiah Ford from Virginia Tech, uh, he was the first 1,000-yard receiver in school history last year, so he made the list as well. Travis Rudolph from Florida State, another excellent wide receiver who excelled last year despite um, up-and-down quarterback play. Tight end Jordan Leggett, he was one of the prime targets in that offense for Deshaun Watson last year. Offensive line comprised of Roderick Johnson from Florida State, the excellent offensive tackle that was um, that was guarding the blind side of both Everett Golson uh, and Sean McGuire last season. Mitch Hyatt, a sophomore out of Clemson, had an excellent freshman campaign for the Tigers last year. Um, then there's uh, Dorian Johnson, a senior from Pitt. Uh, playing one guard, Tyrone Crowder from Clemson, the other guard, of course, and then center Jake Guillermo. He's a redshirt senior out of Clemson as well. So Clemson's losing some some talent on the offensive line, but they're, the talent that's returning has made the preseason all-ACC list. Um, quarterback Deshaun Watson, uh, complete no-brainer there. The running backs, you can probably guess as well. Running back Dalvin Cook from Florida State, running back Elijah Hood from North Carolina. Um, now defensively, it's it's a 4-3 look as far as the preseason All-ACC is concerned. You have two DNs, two D-tackles, uh, three linebackers, two corners, two safeties. Um, the two defensive ends, Demarcus Walker from Florida State, Ewan Price from Pitt, they're two of the best defensive ends in the conference, so no surprise there. Um, defensive tackle, Carlos Watkins, uh, Richard Sr. from Clemson, of course, and then D'Angelo Brown, the senior from Louisville. When you think of Louisville, you think more of the linebackers they have, and that's where the next two guys come into fold, Keith Kelsey um, coming into his senior year, and Devontae Fields, of course, the talented transfer, uh, came in from TCU a couple of years ago. Uh, linebacker Ben Bullware, of course, is the third linebacker um, selected there, and he's from Clemson. 
two corners, um, one from Clemson, Cordrea Tankersley, the other from North Carolina, it's Des Lawrence. He had an excellent year last year for the Tar Heels and what really was a bounce-back year for their defense, uh, which was one of the worst in college football two years ago, but um, really was able uh, to have a pretty solid year last year. And then two safeties on the list, Quinn Blanding from Virginia and then Derwin James from Florida State. We'll get into Derwin James a little bit more later. Um, special teamers, place kicker Greg Hoigel from Clemson, obviously was really good as a redshirt freshman last year for the Tigers en route to their national championship runner-up. Uh, Justin Vogel, the senior punter from Miami, if we know anything about Miami to this point, said their offense hasn't been very good and they've punted a ton. And then your special teams returner, Ryan Switzer, North Carolina, he was an All-American as a freshman just for his performance in the kick return game alone. Uh, he, he plays offense really well at this point, an excellent slot receiver for North Carolina, but when it comes to the bread and butter for Ryan Swister and what kind of put him on the map, it was his special teams play, and this year is no different. He's a preseason all-ACCer in that category. Man, and Ryan Switzer is really a nightmare trying to defend him with the, the physical tools as far as speed and agility that he brings to the table. So, um, man, that is, that is something that I would not be surprised to see him in that same spot on the postseason list as well. Uh, one other thing I wanted to note with these, uh, and particularly impressive, there's three players on this list as sophomores. They're going into their sophomore years. That's Mitch Hyatt, Derwin James, and Greg Hoigel. Uh, like you said, I mean, all, all very good and important players for their teams last year. Of course, Hyatt and Hoigel of Clemson, uh, and then James of Florida State. Uh, and we'll, we'll get into those a little bit later in the podcast, uh, because Mike... Unless you had anything else you wanted to hit on, we need to move on to our team previews. We're good. Yeah, let's get into them. Let's do it. So, uh, as we've done the last couple of weeks, we're going to be previewing three teams tonight. So, week one, uh, Mike and I did what was called our wheelhouse. So, that was uh, my alma mater, his alma mater, and his alma mater's closest rival. So, that was Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, and Virginia. Last week, we did Boston College, Syracuse, and Pittsburgh in the former Big East section. And tonight, we are headed into the heart of the order here, uh, hitting some of the, uh, the big-time programs in this conference. We are going into the Blue Bloods, we'll call it, uh, and that is Clemson, Florida State, and Miami. And uh, three of the, probably some of the most talented teams in the conference, if not the three most talented teams in the conference. Obviously, Clemson, Florida State, the two real heavyweights on the national scene. Um, so th- this should be hopefully interesting for, for anybody, regardless of whether this is your team or not, because these are teams really to watch that could make a statement out of the ACC uh, this, this, this year on the national level. Yeah, definitely. So if you're looking for two teams that are going to be national championship contenders, look no further than two of the teams we'll be talking about tonight in Florida State and Clemson. And then when talking about Miami as well, Miami's not necessarily um, – in my opinion, going to be a national championship level team this year. But it's a team that bears watching just because um, Al Golden's been replaced by Mark Richt coming back to his alma mater from Georgia where he had um, great levels of success there. And it's going to be interesting to see what he does at his alma mater at a program that's really struggled um, the last five or six years. So um, kind of getting back into the swing of things in Miami, getting back to playing football, how they used to play football in the 90s and the early 2000s when they're really a national power, so it's going to be interesting to see if they start heading back down that path. Yeah, I thought Miami got really lucky to be able to make this hire when they did. It was kind of one of these things where the stars aligned of their their alumnus, Mark Richt, uh, gets gets released by Georgia in what seemed like a very questionable move to a lot of folks around the country. 
Uh, and it turns out he's just right there for the taking. Uh, so Rick gets to come down and coach Miami. That seems like a great hire. It's going to be interesting to see what he does down there because I think some of the problems that he faced at Georgia as far as inconsistency and uh, some discipline, things like that, things that don't really immediately seem to get better by going to Miami. Uh, this is a program that should be roughly as talented, but maybe not quite as talented. Uh, the, the, comp- the competition should be pretty similar. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see just kind of what this ends up being as a hire, you know, five years down the line is are we seeing some of the same just kind of defeats where they shouldn't be happening and, uh, you know, discipline issues and seemingly under underperforming teams? Or is this really the guy that brings you back to the you of, of the late 90s, early 2000s that was really a dominant program on the national stage? Yeah, we're talking, you know, Jimmy Johnson, Butch Davis, uh, Larry Coker, those days. Um, they seem so far removed, but as a college football fan, you think about it, it feels like it was just yesterday when Miami was real prominent and a team that every week uh, you were looking at to see if they would um, step one or get one step closer towards a national championship. And that same sort of vibe hasn't just hasn't been there uh, seemingly for the last last five years at least and and really the last 10 years um it's it's really getting to the point now we're just getting further and further removed from where miami had success so landing a guy like mark rick who's always been a good recruiter in the sec um he, he should do just as well if not better in the acc because the level of competition while still high there's not necessarily as many really really talented teams that recruit to that talent level um you know you look at lsu you look at alabama auburn of recent years um you know, those teams in the SEC that were able to recruit year in and year out really competitively. Interested to see if Mark Rick can kind of take the momentum he took from Georgia and all the recruiting that he did there and kind of bring it to Miami where they've already had success recruiting despite not having um, the best talent there, um, the best talent level there um, as far as coaching staff and so on and so forth. I mean, Al Golden really, really struggled. Um, to kind of gain any sort of consistent success there, but they were still able to recruit because it's the U. And if Miami wants to kind of build on their tradition in their recruiting process, they're going to have to get back to winning. And I think that's definitely where Mark Richt will uh, come in and kind of fit in his new role. And still plenty of talent right there in that backyard of that South Florida, you know, high school football scene. So uh, something that you figure Rick, you know, with a, a history of recruiting well to Georgia, you figure that he's going to be able to take advantage of that. Um, but we'll, we'll have to see kind of where things end up there. Uh, I, I thought he made a couple of kind of curious coordinator hires, we'll say. Uh, his offensive coordinator is going to be uh, Thomas Brown, who was a running back for Rick at Georgia not long ago. He, he graduated in 2008 and has since coached running backs at Chattanooga, Marshall, Wisconsin, and then Georgia over the last four years. It seems like, I guess, Brown is going to kind of be the, I don't know, the figurehead over the offense, but in reality, he's going to be running Rick's offense. Mark Rick is going to be calling the plays, and, and you figure that sets up pretty well for, for offense. Uh, this is a guy that knows offense. He kind of made his, uh, made his name for himself as an offensive coordinator at Florida State. So um, I think with Rick at the helms, they're in good shape. Their defensive coordinator is Manny Diaz, and he's going to be tasked with taking this unit and elevating them from a point where they've kind of underperformed what talent they do have there. 
Uh, they they have the talent to compete with a lot of the you know pretty much any defense on the national stage except for maybe like an Alabama or something. But the results just haven't been there. And so Manny Diaz, formerly of Texas, among several other stops, uh, Mike, do you have any faith that he's the guy to really take this defense to the next level and, and help to make Miami dangerous on that side of the ball? Well, you got to hope so, right? They were 105th nationally last year in tackles for loss, and that was 12th in the ACC. So their defense obviously had trouble not only getting teams knocked down in the backfield, but um, sustaining any sort of consistent success. And when looking at how poorly the offensive line performed, um, having to punt as much as they did last year, now you have a punter on the preseason all-ACC list, your defense needs to perform. So... Do I have faith in Manny Diaz? I mean, it's going to be a different-looking defense. Um, they ran the 3-4 scheme last year, and now they're moving to a 4-3. Um, that's a big change, obviously. Um, their talent level is obviously there to make an impact, but it'll be a different look for that Miami defense, and they're going to have to completely completely revamp and turn things around if they want to have success this coming season. Yeah, and truth be told, this is a team that is not going to need to be carried by the defense. Uh, the offense brings back a, a ton of talent that will be at Mark Rick's disposal and figures to be one of the best offenses in the ACC from day one. Uh, quarterback, you obviously you bring back Brad Kaya for his junior year. He's what we've said is could be the second best quarterback in the, in the league behind only Deshaun Watson. Uh, he had... 62% completion, 16 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, 3,200 yards last year. Um, he, is a, he is a growing and maturing pro-style quarterback every day that figures to be one of the first ones off the board as soon as he goes to the NFL draft. Um, and, and then you add around him, you've got these weapons of Joe Yearby, Mark Walton, Gus Edwards, all at running back, um, junior, sophomore, junior there. And then uh, – it's the wide receiver core is kind of where things start to get a little shaky as far as returning talent and, and what's there. But ultimately you got to like the skill positions and the guy running this offense at the end of the day. Oh, definitely. And when looking at the offense, um, the receiving core, like you mentioned, a little bit of inexperience there, but they're returning Stacy Coley, who the coaches have raved about. The fans really love Stacy Coley. I uh, think he can be a big time impact player for Brad Kyatt with that offense. Um, they, they also are bringing Amon Richards, who's a freshman they're really high on, um, was one of the top recruits in their class, uh, four-star according to 24-7 Sports, and also Sam Bruce, another four-star according to 24-7 that I think can make an immediate impact. Now, Sam Bruce at five foot eight is more of a slot guy, but he can absolutely fly, um, a lightning rod, uh, re- really one of the fastest receivers in the entire recruiting class. Um, and, and not only for Mark Rick, but in the entire country. I mean, when Sam Bruce actually, um, when he signed on to Miami and actually committed, I remember watching on National Signing Day, they were just talking about how fast he really was. And at five foot eight, he could definitely make an impact in the ACC. They have Braxton Berrios also. He's a junior, made a limited impact last year. But I think when looking at Miami, you have a lot of young talent on that offense, and that's without mentioning Lawrence Cager, who is another guy they were really high on last year. He made a little bit of an impact, but I think he's definitely going to step into a much bigger role here this coming season. So despite Miami not returning a lot of talent at the receiver position that maybe has made an impact already, they do have the talent there, um, a lot of young talent for Brad Kaya to work with. And when looking at this offense with Joe Yearby in the backfield playing running back, you got Brad Kaya, a very good quarterback at the position, who really doesn't make a lot of mistakes despite being under pressure. 
it really just comes down to offensive line play, and that's where they've struggled the last couple of years is keeping Brad Kaya upright. If they do that, the offensive line can improve. I definitely think Miami, this could be the year that they can reach their potential as one of the top offenses in the conference. Uh, they've had the talent to be there the last few years. It just hasn't happened uh, just based on the offensive line play sputtering at times. So you keep Brad Kaya upright. You get the ball to your skill position players. You you build a consistent run game with Joe Yearby. And without a doubt, they have the talent to be one of the top offenses in the ACC. And the good news there is that the, the offensive line does bring a ton of consistency from last year into this year, uh, only losing two starts from guard Joe Brown. But other than that, you bring back pretty much everybody else. So the continuity there should be a, a big help. Um, Identity-wise, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what we end up seeing from Miami because in the last few years at Georgia – that Bulldogs offense has been a lot more of like a pro style kind of set, you know, a, a lean on the running backs, and there's been a ton of running back talent there. Um, but in the they've struggled a little bit with quarterback play since Aaron Murray's departure a few years back. So now with a, a pretty top-notch quarterback once again, I, I wonder if we don't start to see a lot more three and four receiver sets, and that kind of changes the whole complexion of the offense to where. Uh, Yearby and Walton and guys like that should be finding themselves in space a little more and maybe can create some more big plays. Um, as you said, there's there's a ton of talent kind of on the outside, not a ton of proven guys, especially that can play you know those X and Z receiver roles. Um, but plenty of talent to work with, obviously there for Mark Richt on that offense. And, and I, I expect them to be one of the very best units uh, in the entire conference. Defensively, Again, I don't know that they need to be. Um, I think that they just need to be serviceable, and, and in that case, Miami can kind of be able to contend for the Coastal Division. Um, in the front seven, you bring back four of your uh, top seven uh, defensive linemen and linebackers. Um, it's in the secondary. There's you know still plenty of continuity. Uh, two of the top three safeties and uh, the top corner, Cornelder, all return. Uh, so bringing back a whole bunch of starters, uh, this unit – wasn't great last year, uh, and any sort of improvement here figures to to really play nicely for Miami's end result. Yeah, yeah. So they were 69th nationally in total defense last year, but it was kind of a surprise that Artie Burns decided to turn pro. They had the potential at defensive back to not only return Cornelder but have Artie Burns to that unit as well. So it's a big loss that he decided to go to the NFL when he did because that was a little bit unexpected. Um, ended up dra- being drafted about where he was expected to. So. Um, ended up working out for him in the end, but like you mentioned, they're returning um, a good bit of talent on their defense from last year, which is good. I mean, another year of continuity, despite not being the best defense in the conference, or not even not even one of the more mediocre defenses in the entire country, at least you're bringing back continuity, and that's definitely huge. We saw what happened with North Carolina last year. North Carolina, two years ago, was one of the worst defenses in the conference. Last year, um, they kind of bounce back and, and get back into a fold with a lot of players that they had from the year prior. So despite um, despite the fact that maybe they didn't statistically perform up to their level of talent last year, it doesn't mean that under a new coaching staff they can't perform to their capability. So it's really good to have continuity back on that defense. Um, it's really good that Jermaine Grace is returning for them, right? So he's he had 79 tackles last year, uh, led the team. Um, in that regard, he's going to anchor that line, linebacking core that's returning all three starters. Um, Darian Owens and Shaquille Quarterman return from that unit as well. Um, I'm sorry, Shaquille Quarterman's a freshman, but they're, um, they're bringing back Charles Perry, who played a good bit uh, for Miami also last year. 
Um, like I said, they're moving from the 3-4 to the 4-3, so that means that linebacking play is going to be even more crucial than it was before. You're playing with one more down line than on the defensive line. I think the defensive line play is going to be paramount for them as long as they get, a lot, get enough pressure on these quarterbacks in the ACC. I think they'll be okay. Like you mentioned, Joey, they're not going to have to be one of the best defenses in the conference. They just need to be serviceable enough to get the job done in the offense. If they perform to their capability offensively, just be mediocre enough on defense. Miami's definitely going to be a team that can compete for the Coastal Crown. Um, the Hurricanes just need to improve a little bit across the board in that defensive unit. Linemen, they play a little bit better, the linebackers. And the secondary, which is, you know, outside of Corn Elder, you know, a, a unit that's a little bit um, a little bit young. You got Shelter Redwine, a sophomore. Um, Jamal Carter uh, moving into his senior year, but behind him, there's not a lot of experience. Jaquan, uh, Jaquan Johnson, who's a sophomore, Robert Nobles, another safety, he's a freshman, playing behind Rayshon Jenkins, a senior. So they have a secondary that has some experience, but they also got some young guys in the mix as well. So it's going to be interesting to watch that secondary and see how they develop, especially if that defensive line can't get a ton of pressure on the quarterback. You leave a lot of guys in that secondary on an island. It's going to be interesting to see how Miami performs in the back end of that defense. So, like you mentioned, Joey, as long as they're able to get enough pressure on the quarterback, play well enough to get the offense, um, get the offensive ball back, get the ball back in Brad Kaya's hands, I think Miami will be fine. They'll definitely be good enough to contend in the Coastal Division anyway. So, um, that'll be an improvement from last season. The big thing that I, I kind of want to see improve from this defense that's kind of surprising to me of how bad it was was their sack rate uh, this this was not a very good defense at pressuring the quarterback especially when you start looking at how much talent they have uh, so standard down sack rate which is you know you figure the offense is keeping up with the chains was 4.9 percent that was 70th in the country passing down sack rate so offense trying to play catch up was only 6.1 percent that was 88th in the country uh, so this is a defense that has way more talent than that and and Really, you, you figure they have to get better than that and do a little bit of that, and you end up with a lot better of a result, uh, giving opposing offenses problems. But you mentioned, Mike, that a couple things just kind of have to happen for them to contend in the ACC. And part of that will also lean on their schedule. Um, and as we look at this, there, there's a couple of things I want to hit on. So first of all, the out-of-conference is really not too bad. Uh, you start with two games at home against Florida A&M and Florida Atlantic. And then the following week is one of the one of the uh, national schedule's most kind of strange road trips as they travel to Appalachian State. And then uh, at the end of October, uh, Halloween weekend, Miami plays at Notre Dame. So out of conference, Florida A&M, FAU, at Appalachian State, at Notre Dame. Uh, you figure three and one is really not a whole lot to ask for there. And there's a slight chance if you can beat Notre Dame, you can go four and over that stretch. It's the conference schedule, though, that really starts to look a little daunting because starting October 1st, here is the week-by-week the -week breakdown with no bye week anywhere in here. So they get a, a week ahead of time to prepare to travel to Georgia Tech, and then every week after that it is home against Florida State, home against North Carolina, at Virginia Tech on a Thursday night, at Notre Dame, home against Pittsburgh. That is a pretty brutal four-game stretch, if you ask me. Or, excuse, how many? Hold on. There's a pretty brutal six-game stretch, excuse me, if you ask me. Yeah, so 
they have the three games in the opener, you know, opening the year, like you mentioned, Florida A&M, Florida Atlantic, at Appalachian State. I really don't understand that App State game at all. So you're going to go on the road to a team that really has never been relevant on the Division One stage, save that game against Michigan um, back, what was it, a long time ago now. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head what year that happened, but it's been a while now since App State's even been relevant. Um so having a major Power 5 team going to Appalachian State, like you mentioned, one of the more uh, national oddities um, in the entire country. So at Florida a- or home against Florida A&M, home against Florida Atlantic, you go at App State. That's a 3-0 stretch. And then the next five or six games, absolutely brutal. I mean, you get two weeks to prepare for that Georgia Tech option offense. I like Miami's chances in that game. But then you, you play at home against Florida State, home against North Carolina, who should be two of the better teams in the ACC. You go on the road to Virginia Tech on a Thursday night, which is never an easy place to play in Blacksburg. And then you have on on short rest coming off of one of the top offenses in the conference in North Carolina. I mean, that's not going to be easy going back to back there. And then you have nine days later, you're going to South Bend to play Notre Dame, who's probably going to be ranked in the top 10 at that point in time. So it's an insane stretch there. And once you get through that, it gets a little bit easier, but you have a home game against Pitt, which definitely won't be easy with that Pittsburgh defense. You go on the road to Virginia, like their chances. On the road, NC State, that's a sneaky game just because you, you're kind of at the back half of the season. You, you kind of need a breather by that point in time. You're playing an NC State squad that you probably should beat, but they'll definitely be pesky on the road there. And then you finish out the season at home against Duke. It's just really a tough schedule for Miami even though when you scratch the surface there through the first month of the year, they're probably going to be 3-0 and um, going into that Georgia Tech game. And then after that, it's uphill sledding. I mean, you've got, you got a really tough stretch there against some of the top teams in the ACC. So definitely not an easy schedule for Miami in a year where you don't play Clemson. Um, when you don't play Clemson, I mean, you still draw Florida State, but you don't draw probably the top team in the conference with the Tigers. So a very interesting schedule. It's a bad year to get Notre Dame and have it be your turn in the rotation. And not only do you get Notre Dame, but you get them in South Bend. So um, not an easy year, even though you don't play Clemson. Yeah, I look for some losses on this schedule. I start with Florida State. Um, that's a game that eventually Miami will definitely be able to compete in as, if they, the coaching staff is recruiting kind of as we expect them to. But uh, in Game 5, you know, early October of year one, I, I don't see that happening. At Notre Dame, like we said, brutal road trip. That's a really good team to go play. Uh, I think you're you're very lucky if you can manage to win that one. Uh, I think the game at home against Pittsburgh, I, I just somehow like Pat Narduzzi's defense in that game. Um, my question is whether Miami can score enough to where the Pitt offense might struggle to keep up. Um, but I think that's a game that Pittsburgh will win. And then I look at that the, the trio of uh, Georgia Tech on the road, uh, North Carolina at home, at Virginia Tech, I think you lose at least one more of those. Record-wise, I think I'm looking at 8-4 and four this year for Miami, and that might be near the best case that they can expect. Yeah, so as you were discussing that there, I was taking a look at their schedule to um, kind of talk myself into the record I'm going to predict here. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, you know, I think eight and four is probably the ceiling. I mean, that's just a brutal one. To, yeah, it's a brutal five-game stretch there from Georgia Tech 
um, in early October to Notre Dame at the end of October. Um, I think they start the season 3-0. Georgia Tech is a toss-up for me. They're going on the road to Atlanta. I think it'll be a tough game. Miami was able to win that game last year by 17 against Georgia Tech, but that game was at home. Um, I'm going to say Miami wins that game. They're 4-0 heading into that stretch where you get Florida State, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, and Notre Dame. I think Miami's going to beat Virginia Tech on the road. That will be a tough game in Blacksburg on a short week. Um, but I think they can beat Virginia Tech there. So by then, you've got four wins. That's five wins with Virginia Tech. And then beating Virginia, NC State, and Duke to close out the year, that's eight wins. That Pittsburgh game, I'm with you. Uh, that's going to be real tough for Miami to win, even though it's at home. Pat Narduzzi's defense, I, I really think that they're primed for a big year, and I think that this is kind of a statement game later in the year that you can point to, especially if Pittsburgh ends up being one of the top teams in the Coastal Division before it's all said and done. You can say, hey, that Miami game is um, kind of where they cemented themselves as one of the better teams in the conference. So I'm going to go with 8-4. and four. I think that's a good ceiling for Miami, but I could easily see this being a seven and five type campaign, uh, especially if they aren't able um, if they aren't able to beat Georgia Tech. Yeah, and one more thing is the the advanced stats I guess on this. Uh, Bill Connolly at SB Nation, who handles all the college football advanced stats, he he gives each game win probabilities based on S and P ranks and. The first two games, Florida A and M, Florida Atlantic, hundred percent win probability, eighty nine percent win probability. After that, there's only two games that are better than a 57% chance of winning. And by the way, 57% uh, is Appalachian State. That's that's a lot lower than you might have expected. Um, they put the Pittsburgh game at 57%, Virginia at 61%, and Duke at 70%. Other than that, you're looking at a whole bunch of games of like 55% chance of winning and lower. So... A lot of toss-ups in there and a lot of bad situations. So just a, a tough schedule for a, a team that uh, might be better than its final record kind of indicates. So definitely something to keep an eye on as we go. But it is time to move on. We need to move on to talk about the Knolls, Mike. It is time to talk about the Knolls. Um, this is a team that I think seemed a little fragile last year. Uh, a lot of teams kind of felt like they were prepared to lose. Uh, we mentioned that they had a, an ACC winning streak that was long, I guess, going on for a long time that we figured was going to be broken against Clemson. Ended up getting broken by Georgia Tech uh, on a last-second play. Other than that, you know, they were pretty solid for the most part. Um, a lot of continuity in the staff. Obviously, Jimbo Fisher stays and signs an extension in the offseason. Uh, they bring back both co-offensive coordinators. They bring back Charles Kelly, the defensive coordinator, you have to think, I mean, you get a little, you know, get some health, get some continuity, especially on the offense, uh, the post-James Winston era with Sean McGuire coming back. This has to set up pretty well for Florida State. Uh, yeah, it sets up well for Florida State, and we'll get into their schedule later, which I think is tough to a degree, but not impossible. And then you look at the players they're returning on the offensive side of the ball, especially. You have questions to the quarterback position, but you have one of the best running backs in the country in Dalvin Cook you're bringing back. Ryan Izzo, a tight end, who had a spectacular freshman year last year. And then you have a ton of receiver receiver depth. Uh, Bobo Wilson, Auden Tate also, Kermit Whitfield, and Travis Rudolph. That's as talented a receiver core as you'll find in the ACC. You're returning a lot of all, preseason all-ACC players on the offensive line. you got Roderick Johnson. Um, you got guys 
who have a ton of experience as well. Kareem Ari is one. Alex Averly had a really good freshman campaign last year. Wilson Bell um, stepping in as a junior. Derek Kelly is a sophomore. Um, they have a lot of talent returning on offense. Defensively, you got Demarcus Walker, who's one of the top defensive ends in the conference. Um, you have Derek Nandi of Josh Sweat, who was one of the more highly touted recruits in all of Virginia, um, and, and then was one of the more highly touted defensive end recruits in the country two years ago. Had a pretty solid freshman campaign last year. Um, he, he was in the rotation a little bit more quickly than some would have expected. He's now going to be in more of a full-time role in that defense. you got Roderick Hoskins at linebacker, Matt Thomas as well. Um, the cornerbacks, even though you don't return Jalen Ramsey, you do have some talent there on that side of the ball. You have senior Marquez White, who's probably going to anchor that unit. And then back in the secondary, um, you have Derwin James, Nate Andrews, Trey Marshall. They're three guys that you know are really going to anchor that secondary. Derwin James had a minor foot issue um, that was kind of announced earlier this week that he underwent a minor procedure. He's expected to be ready for the opener against Ole Miss. Obviously giving you pause um, just kind of four or five weeks before the opener, though, that you have foot surgery. So we're going to have to monitor Derwin James here in the next few weeks as we go along. But they're expecting him to be back for the opener. Nothing that really has the coaching staff that nervous about, but it's definitely something worth watching. So this is a team with all the talent in the world, and really it's just going to end up, you know, you know, the one question that they're going to have to answer is what's going to go on at the quarterback position. you got DeAndre Francois. Malik Henry, Sean McGuire, um, a lot of questions right there in that specific position, which is one of the more important positions in all of college football. You have to have a good quarterback. Yeah, Mike, I, I actually just had some some breaking news just came down, actually. Um, Florida State's really talented. <laughs> um, th- th- <laughs> surprise, is, surprise. Yeah, this is something that uh, maybe is old, old news a little bit. Um, I think it, it's pretty fair to say that Clemson and Florida State right now are just on another plane as far as top-to-bottom talent on the roster, Um, especially since Jimbo Fisher has taken over for Bobby Bowden. This team has recruited as well as anybody in the country. There is no shortage of talent, especially at the skill positions uh, on on offense as well as on defense. So, um, like you mentioned, the the quarterback situation sets up to be uh, kind of a an up-in-the-air one where you have the senior Sean McGuire coming back, but then DeAndre Francois and Malik Henry, a pair of very talented freshmen. Uh, DeAndre Francois in particular is a redshirt, sat out last year, but uh, may see some some dual time, I guess, with, with McGuire. Is that something that you would expect or be surprised by at all? No, I mean, I think that split time is something that we've been used to seeing the last couple of years since Jameis Winston left town. Um, you see Sean McGuire and Everett Golson battling it out. I think it's interesting that Sean McGuire, for all the chances he's had to really gain that quarterback position and kind of lock it down, he hasn't been able to do so. And I think the reason why is because he's had interception issues, he's had trouble reading defenses, he doesn't have the strongest arm in the world. But he's going to be a senior, a guy that's been around the block, has seen everything thrown at him, especially within ACC play. His guy Jimbo Fisher is going to turn to for senior leadership and um, Jimbo Fisher's high enough on him that he's going to give him yet another opportunity to win the starting quarterback job, but I think the problem with Sean McGuire is he's not as flashy as some of his competitors, and I think that does hurt him more than Jimbo Fisher leads leads um, leads us to believe. Um, Jimbo Fisher likes Sean McGuire, but he doesn't like him enough to actually name him the starting quarterback right now, so I think it's going to be definitely um, pushing towards an open competition in camp, looking at Malik Henry, if he wasn't a true freshman, I'd say he'd have a great shot. But DeAndre Francois, being a redshirt freshman, 
you have nothing to lose. Um, he's going to start losing eligibility anyway. He's a guy that's as talented as any young quarterback in the entire conference. And if he performs well enough in camp, we should expect to see him in the Ole Miss game. But I think because it's Ole Miss in the opener, I think Sean McGuire is a guy you'll probably see under center. But I think DeAndre Francois will definitely push for playing time, even if Sean McGuire plays well in that Ole Miss game. He's too talented a player sitting behind him. And there's going to be points here in the season, just based on the track record, where Sean McGuire will struggle a little bit. Um, we'll have trouble reading defenses. There will be some. Um, there will be some. Some cheers, some roars, um, and and some whispers from that crowd uh, down in Tallahassee. They're going to really want to see DeAndre Francois perform. So I think it's sooner rather than later when we see DeAndre Francois, but I think because they're facing Ole Miss in the opener, it's likely that they'll split snaps at least on the start. Yeah, and something that I've seen several times at Georgia Tech, at Louisville, at several programs around the country is when there is a, a pretty obvious changing of the guard coming up at quarterback where obviously Sean McGuire is senior. This is his last year. DeAndre Francois, a redshirt freshman, it's about to be his team to take over. You know, when these things are coming, I would not be surprised at all to see Jimbo Fisher give Francois a drive or two each game kind of as as competition allows. Um, that was something we saw at Georgia Tech a few years ago with uh, Tevin Washington. His senior year, Bad Lee was a freshman and Washington would come in, play the first two drives of the game. Lee would come in, play the next two drives. And from there, Paul Johnson would kind of make a decision based on the hot hand. Maybe can't go with that in, in this offense and with this kind of team and talent, but still might see Francois in some, some limited action uh, even early on in the season, uh, even if not named the starter. But I, I think the guy that we really need to highlight on this offense is uh, as a guy that has some legitimate Heisman aspirations, especially if this team can uh, can win this division, win the conference, and that's Dalvin Cook, the, the dynamic running back. We've seen uh, some pretty incredible things out of him his first couple years in school. Last year, 231 carries for 1,683 yards and 19 touchdowns, only three fumbles, 7.3 yards per carry. Dalvin Cook is one of the best running backs in the country easily, and perhaps the single best amongst a class of running backs that is absolutely loaded right now on the national level. And I was going to say with Dalvin Cook last year, that was with a really bad hamstring. I mean, he just wasn't healthy for most of the season. And the fact that he was still able to put up those numbers really is a testament to his talent level. Um, what we saw of Dalvin Cook last year was even with that bad hamstring, it was a lot of runs out of sheer will, especially towards the end of the runs where you know he really didn't have much left to give there with that hamstring um, hampering him. Especially you saw you know some breaks down the sideline where with Dalvin Cook's speed, um, if he gets in the, in the secondary, watch out. He usually turns it up the field and nobody's going to catch him. But you saw even with a bad hamstring, he was still able to outrun a lot of some of the top defenders in the ACC, which is really scary, especially now that Dalvin Cook's going to be healthy for a full season. So, um, you know, I expect a lot out of Dalvin Cook, like you said, one of the top running backs in the entire country, a dark horse for the Heisman Trophy for sure. Um, with with the, in a year where Christian McCaffrey and Deshaun Watson, and rightfully so, will be getting a lot of the hype, I think Dalvin Cook will have his say, especially if he has another big year for the Seminoles, and especially if he stays healthy. Yeah, recent Heisman odds that we've seen, if uh, if you're the type of person that likes to uh, to get involved with these gambling-esque topics, uh, Dalvin Cook at 12-1 to to win the Heisman as of about a month ago, I think that should still be about the same. 
Wouldn't recommend betting on it, uh, but if you're the type of person, that might be something to consider. He's uh, about fifth down the list behind a few others, so uh, certainly something to consider there. And as you mentioned, again, as talented as they come, and just one of many seemingly dominant athletic weapons on this Florida State offense, they bring back all of their wide receivers, uh, bring back the whole offensive line. This unit sets up to be absolutely dominant this year, uh, maybe similar to what we saw under uh, under Jameis James Winston, as long as they can figure out that quarterback situation. So uh, we'll see. As far as the defense, uh, as you mentioned earlier, they bring back a lot of talent. Uh, they're missing a few starters from the front seven, uh, but bring back some pretty key backups and guys that, that do a lot for that defense. Uh, in the secondary, losing a few starters, but again, Derwin James coming back, Marquez White coming back, some of these main guys. And, and as we've mentioned before, I mean, plenty of talent waiting in the wings to take over. Uh, Defensively, this unit should be able to hang with, with most teams in the country. Yeah, and, I mean, that's what we were kind of expecting out of Florida State anyway, is defense that would hopefully just compete at a level um, where they can be one of the top three or four defenses in the conference and kind of ride that offense uh, behind Dalvin Cook. So a big year out Dalvin Cook offensively, good enough quarterback play and a solid defense, and they should find themselves right in the mix in the ACC, setting up for a huge showdown with Clemson later in the year. Yeah, if there's a concern on the defense, it's probably in the depth in the front seven. Uh, they've, they've lost several depth guys who were kind of some subs at times, but for the most part, I mean, if that's the biggest problem that you've got, you're doing all right, especially as a defense as talented as they are. Uh, so I, I expect this to be one of the better units in the country. But as we mentioned before, as you look at the schedule, this does not set up a whole lot easier than Miami's does. Um, so, again, we'll start with the out-of-conference. So first game of the year is against Ole Miss. That's in Orlando. And, Mike, what did you say the title of this kickoff game was? Uh, the Camping World. Uh, okay, so you remember the Camping World Independence Bowl. Well, now we have the Camping World Classic uh, kickoff game because Camping World bought the naming rights to the old Citrus Bowl in Orlando. It's now the Camping World Classic, and that's where this kickoff game will be. Ah, uh, yes, the world-famous Camping World kickoff game in the Citrus Bowl of Orlando. I have never seen a Camping World in my life, by the way. Apparently it's this big outdoor superstore. Never seen it in my life. I have no idea um, where those are. Maybe that's a thing um, down by you, Joey. I've never seen them up here in the East Coast. So it's, it's uh, a major store somewhere. I've just yet to see one. So if one of our listeners can enlighten us as to where there are actual Camping World stores, that would be awesome. I picture it kind of like the Kmart of version of Bass Pro Shop. So uh, anyways, hopping on that, uh, that kickoff weekend game trend, I guess. Good for you, Camping World. Uh, so from, from there... Uh, so Ole Miss in Orlando, and then you go to uh, hosting Charleston Southern the next weekend. That's a softball. Two weeks later, on the road at South Florida, and then finishing out at home against Florida in a traditional game. This is – so the, the thing about this out-of-conference schedule is, obviously Ole Miss looks tough. Florida looks pretty tough as well. That's an improving program. This could very potentially also have a third loss on it, as this South Florida game – looks to me like a big screaming trap game um so weeks week one Ole Miss week two Charleston Southern week three is at Louisville which is a tough game uh probably the third best team in the conference if you had to pick one right now then on the road at South Florida so not only a little bit of a 
you know, a, a trap game before they host North Carolina the following week. But South Florida is going to be sneaky good this year, and, and you go on the road to play them in a game that might be a little bit of a letdown game. You know South Florida with all their Florida kids are going to be up to play that game. Am I crazy, Mike, for looking at this as this is like a big screaming, you know, look out for this one? Uh, not necessarily, because if you remember last year, Florida State really struggled with South Florida at home. Um, Dalvin Cook ended up running for hundreds of yards in the second half. I mean, I think he finished uh, off the top of my head. I think he had over 200 yards rushing in that game. Um, they're lucky he did because at the half it looked like South Florida might pull an upset in Tallahassee. It's not crazy to think that that's a trap game. Um, it's a week before they play North Carolina. They have to prepare for that offense, which is expected to be very good. It's not out of the realm of possibility to see Florida State drop a game on the road at South Florida. I think that will be one of the t- tougher games on their schedule, actually, um, and one that's going to fly under the radar because it's not a game against Clemson or Ole Miss, which is really the two games that are being hyped most on Florida State's schedule heading into the year. Yeah, and I think that as I look at this schedule more, I think that a lot of the outcome is going to be dictated by how quickly they can settle the quarterback situation. Um, you've got tough games starting out against defenses like Ole Miss and Louisville. Ole Miss losing a lot of talent, but still plenty left there. Uh, Louisville, a dangerous defense as well. Uh, got a score with North Carolina, and then you travel to Miami. Uh, home against Wake Forest, home against Clemson in the, the big marquee game of the season for the conference. At NC State, home against Boston College, at Syracuse, finish out home against Florida. So uh, there, there are some landmines here. The, the Clemson game, I think this is the year that Florida State gets this one back. Um, I, but that is completely hinging on, on shoring up that quarterback situation because if that, if that offense is not firing you know, at full capacity – Clemson's going to win that football game. So uh, as I look at this schedule, I, I, I'm looking at it, and as good as Florida State looks to be and, and as complete as they look to be on defense and on offense and as much talent as they have, I'm kind of thinking this might end up somewhere around 9-3. and three. Um, I, You look at that Ole Miss loss, potentially. I think at Louisville is very tough if they haven't shored up the quarterback situation. I think it's very possible you lose that game at South Florida. Uh, Clemson's very losable. Florida could be very good at the end of the year, not to mention there's tests throughout. And so I, I don't know that there's really a whole lot of shame in going 10-2 and two this year uh, with, with a little bit of a quarterback in transition situation. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking it's either 9-3 and three or 10-2 and two here for Florida State, Mike. This could go anywhere from 11-1 and one to, honestly, 7-5. And, and it's not that Florida State's a 7-5 and five team. It's that the schedule um, could eventually dictate that they're 7-5. and five. And I don't think Florida State's schedule is as tough necessarily as we think it could be. Um, this is really contingent on them figuring out the quarterback position and a lot of these teams being as tough as we expect them to be. Um, you talk about Ole Miss. They're losing a ton of talent. They still have Chad Kelly, at quarterback. I think Florida State wins that opener against Ole Miss um, because I think even with Sean McGuire at quarterback, I, you know, if you're a Florida State fan listening to this podcast, you're not really sure that Sean McGuire's the guy. I mean, yes, I get it, but you have Dalvin Cook in the backfield, and I think that'll be enough to figure things out against Ole Miss in that opener. Ole Miss is losing a ton of talent on defense. They've had a tumultuous offseason with the recruiting, the questions about recruiting violations and everything else that kind of Hugh Freeze has brought upon that program. 
Um, I, I think it's a huge game for Ole Miss in that opener more so than Florida State. I think the pressure will be on the Rebels uh, more so than the Seminoles. I think Florida State wins that opener. I think they win against Charleston Southern the following week. That Louisville game on the road is tough, especially if they don't have the quarterback position figured out like you mentioned, Joey. But I think Florida State wins that game on the road at Louisville. I think they beat South Florida the following week as well. I think the toughest test that they could actually end up facing in the first month and a half of the season is that game against North Carolina at home. I think North Carolina's offense is going to be so potent because I believe Mitch Trubisky has a chance to be one of the top three or four quarterbacks in the conference before it's all said and done, and we know what company that entails. So Mitch Trubisky could have a big year for the Tar Heels. Despite that game being at home for Florida State, I do think that that's actually the trap game. I think South Florida is a good candidate, but I think having North Carolina the week before a huge rivalry game on the road against Miami uh, could be the game to watch for as far as losses go if Florida State's able to get by Ole Miss. Um, but I do think uh, Florida State has a chance to beat North Carolina. I think they can beat Miami. Um, I, I think the loss is going to be to Clemson. Um, and, and that game against Florida at the end of the year, Florida has been has been a team that was really good last year before Will Greer um, got suspended for the steroid issue. Um, they ended up with Treon Harris, a quarterback. That was really up and down. So Florida State's going to be breaking in a new quarterback as well this year. Um, but I think that the Gators are in a position to be really good for a long time. Jim McElwain has a program going in the right direction. Um, I, I'm going to go with 10-2 and two for Florida State. I think the two losses will be at home against Clemson and then at home against Florida. It's kind of crazy to imagine losing both of those games at home, especially when you consider some of the teams um, in the first, first block of their schedule there. But I think they win those games on the road at Louisville, um, at South Florida, and I think they do beat North Carolina, although that could be an extremely high-scoring game. So I have Florida State at 10-2, and but like I mentioned, it could be anywhere from 11-1 to 7-5. and I mean, it's not inconceivable to see them dropping three out of their first four games, as talented as Florida State is because they have two out of those first four on the road and you're playing um, you're playing Ole Miss at a neutral site where really anything can happen. So I'll, I'll, I'll put Florida State at 10-2, and two, um, and, you know, it could really be anywhere in between. Yeah, absolutely. Like you mentioned, I mean, those first three games, or three of those first four games could conceivably be losses, and it's, it's crazy to think that Florida State could conceivably be a five-loss team with as much talent as there, there is on the roster, but this is a very tough schedule. Um, before we move on, the last thing I want to mention here is, again, we talked about these advanced stats. You look at uh, projected margins and win probabilities and such. Uh, there are four games where the, the projected margin is six points or less. Uh, so that's the Ole Miss game, the Louisville game, the Miami game, and the Clemson game. And three of those, Ole Miss, Louisville, and Clemson, a maximum of 1.7 points is the margin. So uh, a lot of games that kind of figure to be toss-ups for, for Florida State this year. And you kind of got to hope, if you're a Seminoles fan, that, that they kind of come up heads for you and your team ends up winning. But, Mike, we need to move on. we got to get to our last team, which is the team, uh, if, you, if you will. They are the returning national runners-up. They have the returning uh, Heisman runner-up. They have all sorts of talent coming back. They are set up to be every bit as good in 2016 as they were in 2015. The schedule looks to cooperate. This might be a really good year for Clemson once again. Um, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time finding anybody else in the country that is quite as set up to make a playoff run. 
I agree with you. Um, returning Deshaun Watson, a healthy Deshaun Watson, is huge. Uh, you know, we talked at the beginning of last year on other mediums, Joey, about how um, Deshaun Watson, if healthy, had the potential to be one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And last year he was healthy. It stayed true to our point that he had that much talent. Um, Deshaun Watson's a big-time player for Clemson, and he's primed for another big year, especially if he stays healthy again for a second year in a row. Offensively, I mean, what aren't they returning? They're returning one of the better running backs in the conference in Wayne Gallman. They have a receiving core that's only going to get better. You have Artavis Scott, of course, returning. Ray Ray McLeod, who had a big year last year. And you're going to return Mike Williams, who was expected to be a major, to play a major role and be a major piece of that offense last year. He ended up breaking, uh, fracturing a bone in his neck in the opening game. Um, the fact that they're going to have him back is huge. He's a big six foot four target. Really uh, revolutionizes that offense. You have Hunter Renfro, who had a great freshman year last year. They, they have Deion Kane coming back as well, who plays kind of receiver, tight end sort of hybrid in that offense. Tight end Jordan, Jordan Leggett. He's uh, coming into his senior year. It was one of the top tight ends in the conference, not only in the conference, but in the country last year. And he's coming in uh, once again to make a statement and kind of prove that he's worthy of the preseason All ACC honors that he received. Um, the offensive line's returning a lot of talent. Um, they're, they're losing a couple guys up front, but they're returning Jay Guillermo, Tyrone Crowder. Um, they're returning Mitch Hyde as well. Taylor Hearn's going to be a sophomore. He's expected to have a big year. And then uh, Jake Frumagorn, Fru, Fru Morgan. he's a 6'6", 280-pound sophomore, expected to step in um, and, and play a major role. So offensively, Clemson is as good as ever. Defensively, they're... They lost some talent, but they have a lot of talent returning, as well as some guys that they signed that I think can be primed for huge years if they see the field. Uh, the two that I'm referring to are f true freshman Dexter Lawrence, a 6'5", 340-pound uh, monster in the middle of that defensive line, and also Trey Lamar, one of the most athletic linebackers in the entire uh, 2016 class. He's a six foot four freshman, 240 pounds. He's going to be playing, uh, likely playing behind Kendall Joseph, who's a really talented sophomore for Clemson. So um, I'm sure they'll try to get these guys on the field in some capacity. But regardless, Clemson's got a lot of talent returning. Carlos Watkins, uh, Ben Bulware, um, defensive tackle and linebacker, respectively. You got Cordrea Tankersley, who's preseason all, all ACC at the cornerback position. Um, you have Van Smith, a sophomore in the secondary, Jadar Johnson as well, Marcus Edmond, uh, who saw the field in limited role last year uh, for the Tigers. Um, I just really think that Clemson's defense, they had no trouble returning um, returning some talent last year that nece didn't necessarily see a lot of the field a couple years back, but ended up making major impact. I think you're primed to see the same thing happen to Brent Venable's defense this year. A lot of guys returning to the mix that didn't necessarily start but have a ton of talent behind them. And I think the Tigers are in a position to not necessarily miss a beat, especially when considering their schedule, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. So offensively and defensively, Clemson's in good shape. But if you had to pick one unit where there's the most concern, it's probably right there on the defense. Absolutely. I mean, that offense figures to be able to score with anybody. Um, you, you bring back, like you mentioned, Deshaun Watson, who I think you'd have a hard time arguing he's not the best quarterback in the country. Um you bring him back, you bring all his weapons back. Uh, his, his One of his favorite receivers from 2014, Mike Williams, coming back. Uh, a whole bunch of running backs coming back. I'm not sure how much I'm on the Wayne Gallman hype train, but that's a di discussion for a different day. The biggest crack in the armor is probably that offensive line that lost three starters, but 
really it was only two starters, and, and you've got a ton of talent there to back it up, just like with Florida State. So, uh, again, a team that is kind of on a different plane than a lot of the rest of the conference is in terms of talent. Best offense is going to be able to score with anybody, and I feel weird kind of looking at this and saying this, but I think the biggest question in my mind, and this is completely irrelevant to the success of this offense at all this year, well, in most, in, I guess for the most part, but the biggest question in my mind, Mike, did Wayne Gallman make a mistake by not going to the NFL last year? I mean, I think it's possible because the caliber of running back at the position um, – in the draft, I mean, it's really interesting because now you're going to have a position where Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette's going to come out um, after this year. I mean, you did have to compete with a guy like Ezekiel Elliott at the running back position, but other than that, at running back, I mean, who else was there to really compete with uh, in the NFL draft of this past April other than Zeke Elliott from Ohio State? So if you're Wayne Gallman, I think you did make a little bit of a mistake, especially when considering the year he had last year, 1,200 yards rushing. Um, didn't get all the hype because Deshaun Watson uh, gained a lot of the attention, but Wayne Gallman was every bit as big a part of that offense as Deshaun Watson was last year and didn't get nearly the recognition that he may have deserved. So I think that's a, a big reason why he didn't end up coming out is because he didn't necessarily garner the headlines, but he's not going to garner any more headlines this year than Deshaun Watson is. So I'm not really sure what the end game is. Obviously Wayne Gallman has the potential to be um, a successful pro down the road, but it's really interesting that he chose to stay in school rather than come out, especially when considering the year they had last year. It was actually 1,500 yards he had, so it was even more than, than you had said. Um, and I think, in fairness, he is only a junior, so he could potentially play two more years up at Clemson if that's what he decides to do. Um, but I, I, I have to think, you know, and I'm not the biggest believer in Wayne Gallman's raw talent. Uh, I think if you look at the class that came out last year, the class that comes out this year, I think that was his opportunity and his window to really uh, position himself as best as possible in the NFL draft was to come out last year versus uh, really either of the two next draft classes. But uh, you mentioned on the defense, I mean, you, you bring back a lot of talent. There's a, a few losses here and there, but again, this unit sets up to be very good. Um, it's, it's comforting if you're a Clemson fan and knowing that uh, last year when they were a, you know, one of the top units in the country, they were also replacing a lot of talent. Uh, Brent Venables has obviously done a, a magnificent job with that with that uh, with that squad over the last few years he's, since he's been at Clemson. Uh, there's no real reason to think that they won't continue to stay that way. Uh, obviously, in the secondary, bringing back Corea Tankersley, you get back Corin Wiggins from a couple years ago. Uh, you do lose Jaron Curse, Mackenzie Alexander, and T.J. Green, but again, there is no shortage of talent kind of in the defensive backfield to to supplement for those guys, and so. Uh, this figures to be, again, a very special unit, a very dominant unit. Uh, and and I, if there's questions on this team top to bottom, it's probably got to be with the defense. But if that's as big as the questions get for Clemson, I mean, they're in for a big year. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And the defense, you know, like I mentioned, if you had to pick a unit where there's more question marks, it's the defense. But that's not to say that this defense has a bunch of holes in it either. I mean, there's more talent on the defense. Uh, for Clemson than there is in most of the other squads in the entire conference. Um, so with Clemson, I mean, it's only a matter of how did some of the younger guys step in, but these are four- and five-star athletes at this point for the Tigers, so there's not a lot of questions, especially when considering what they went through last year, um, kind of uh, being able to replace the talent that they had two years ago uh, that they had lost, so not a ton of question marks. 
for Clemson. Um, really looking forward to see what Brent Venables has uh, up his sleeve once again this year, especially when considering the talent they do bring back on that side of the ball. Well, in, in either way, I mean, it's not like they got to really run a gauntlet with the schedule either. Um, we take a look at the schedule, look at the out-of-conference games. They start the opening weekend at Auburn, uh, and then home against Troy, home against South Carolina State, and they finish at home against South Carolina. I think Auburn, obviously, you know, far and away the most threatening of those, and I don't know really how threatening Auburn will be to Clemson. Pretty, pretty hard to say that they do anything more than four or anything less than four and zero. I should say, uh, in that out of conference schedule, that is not that is not a, a tough setup at all. No, definitely not, and especially when considering the struggles that Auburn has had. Um, I think having your opening three games. I mean, despite going on the road, Auburn in the opener, um, the Tigers have not been nearly as good as they've been recently. Um, so going on the road, Auburn, I think you win that one. You beat Troy, South Carolina State, uh, not a huge deal. You have the in-state rivalry with South Carolina, like you mentioned, at the end of the year. I think they win that game as well. Um, and I think there will be a little bit of added hype behind it, um, just based off of Will Muschamp's comments last week that we kind of spoke about. So I'm really looking forward to seeing Clemson this year, not only within the conference, but they're out of conference schedule. And they got that South Carolina game circled at the end of the season, no doubt, like they do year in and year out. Absolutely, yeah. So you get through those first three weeks of the year out of conference at Auburn, home against Troy, home against South Carolina State. From there, they go to their conference opener on the road on a Thursday night at Georgia Tech. Uh, They get a little bit of extra rest then, and they host Louisville. They travel to Boston College on a Friday night, uh, home against NC State, at Florida State on two weeks rest for both teams, uh, home against Syracuse, home against Pittsburgh, at Wake Forest, and then, of course, home against South Carolina to close out the season. And if you're looking for uh, a game to really, you know, be afraid of if you're a Clemson fan, it's pretty slim pickings outside of the Florida State game. Uh, I, I look at this schedule, and we, again, we talk about looking for losses on here. Outside of that, tr- that trip to Florida State with both teams on two weeks rest, the only game that really seems kind of threatening here, I mean, I guess you could say Louisville, but that's, that's a home game. Uh, and and a team that didn't really have a a real tough time with last year. The only game that looks mildly threatening here, and correct me if I'm wrong in saying this because there might be a little bit of bias, but is that that conference opener on the road Thursday night at Georgia Tech. Um, It's kind of, you know, short rest after the South Carolina State game. Not that that's going to be particularly taxing, uh, but a short week on the road, Bobby Dodd Stadium at night where we've seen weird things happen before. Uh, this series recently has not been as lopsided towards Clemson as a lot of people would imagine it has. Mike, am I crazy to think, am I biased to think that Georgia Tech might have some sort of chance in that game? Uh, Yeah, I think Clemson probably wins that game by a couple of touchdowns, but if you had to pick one game, especially on the road on their schedule outside of the obvious, which was the Florida State game, I think Georgia Tech is the game that you circle. Um, just because it's going to be a Thursday night game, it is the it is the opener um, of conference play for Clemson, and it's against an offense that you don't really see being conventionally run throughout college football. So if there was one game outside of Florida State on the road, um, I, I think it would be a Georgia Tech game. But I actually think the, the toughest game that they'll play outside of Florida State is going to be at home against Pittsburgh. Um, I'm really high on the Panthers this year. I know you are too, Joey. We spoke about it last week. Um, but 
you know, we both kind of conceded that Clemson would win this game against Pittsburgh. I, I mean, I don't think they'll necessarily have a lot of issues with Pittsburgh, but the reason why I think it's kind of an interesting game to watch out for is because even though it's at home, it's against a team that they don't play conventionally every year because Pittsburgh's in the Coastal Division. They're one of those rotational teams that they see once every couple of years or so. Pat Narduzzi's defense will definitely be ready for the task against a very offensively-minded Clemson team. Um, that, that'll be an interesting game to watch, but it is towards the end of the season there, November 12th. I think by then Clemson will have their minds. Um, they'll be past Florida State and have their minds solely set on the college football playoff. So um, when looking at their schedule, um, it, it's really tough for me to see a loss here, 6-9. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that I think Clemson goes undefeated in the regular season. I think they go on the road and beat Florida State because I don't think Florida State will necessarily have all the questions answered on offense then. Dalvin Cook will cause them some issues just because he ran so well against them last year. But at the quarterback position, you don't really know what Florida State has yet, and I don't think they do either. Um, they have a lot of talent, but they don't know who the guy's going to be. So I'm looking forward to seeing that game, obviously, on the road in Tallahassee. It'll be a big-time test for Clemson, but I think they get by that game, and I, I think they ultimately go undefeated in the regular season and find themselves in the college football playoff. Man, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick them to to lose that road game to Florida State, and I think a lot of that is really just based on the idea that I feel uncomfortable picking anyone to go undefeated before the year. Um, but man, if they if they do manage to beat Florida State, the the drop off in in quality of opponent is is pretty quick. Um, I would be pretty surprised to see them lose any game other than that Florida State game. So. I'm just going to, you know, for prediction's sake, I'm going to say that they lose to Florida State if they've got to lose to anybody, but an undefeated regular season is absolutely nowhere near out of the question, um, and, and it is very possible this schedule sets up very nicely for them, and I, I think, obviously, at that point, I mean, you're going to the ACC championship, you can come away with a win there, you're going back to the college football playoff, and uh, for t- potentially even the number one seed in the, in the bracket this time around, so... Uh, this sets up to be a very strong year for Clemson, and I think we will all be very surprised if we see anything different. Uh, yeah, definitely. So when looking at Clemson, like you mentioned, not only will they have every chance in the world to go 12-0 and in the regular season and then have a chance to be uh, a 14-0 team heading into a potential national championship matchup, um, but they're going to have one of the top quarterbacks, if not the top quarterback in the country in Deshaun Watson being squarely in Heisman consideration all year long um, as long as he stays healthy and when looking at Deshaun Watson if he plays as well as he's capable of this is the best ACC team by far and it's one of the best teams in the country maybe the best team in the country Um, a lot of hype coming out at the SEC with Alabama they're going to be really good once again how could they not with Nick Saban Um, they're always uh, retooling not necessarily rebuilding Um, they'll have a team that's reloaded and ready to compete for another SEC championship, but look no further than Clemson if you want a team that could potentially be number one in the bracket, like you mentioned. Yeah, uh, you're, you're going to be pretty hard-pressed to find a team, I think, this year that Clemson couldn't at least compete with, um, and, and I think they'd be capable of beating just about anybody, assuming that uh, assuming that Deshaun Watson stays healthy and assuming that, that everything kind of goes as we expect it to. There's no reason to think that there's a team out there that they couldn't compete with. But... Mike, we're up against it. We need to be uh, we need to be getting out of here. But this has been this has been fun talking about the blue bloods of the conference. Figure these are some of the best teams in the conference this year. 
Oh yeah, no doubt. Uh, Florida State and Clemson for sure, and then time will tell with Miami. Um, you, you know, if they retool the offensive line, they're definitely one of the teams to watch for in the ACC. Uh, a lot of question marks at quarterback for Florida State, but they have a lot of talent at the position, so it's hard to seeing them um, to see a situation where they where they falter. Um, you know, I, I think it's a ten and two type team for Florida State. They'll definitely be in the mix in the Atlantic Division, and that'll be a showdown. Uh, with with Clemson there late in October that everybody will be watching for. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of tough schedules thrown in there for the Seminoles and for the Hurricanes, but ultimately three of the most talented teams, I think, in the in the conference without question. But as we said, this has been fun. Uh, we'll, we'll be back next week to preview three more teams. Uh, we've got six remaining if we include Notre Dame the final week. Um but until then, we, uh, we, you can find us on Twitter. We want you to reach out, tell us how we're doing, you know, ask us questions. We can talk about some reader questions here on the show. Uh, we got to have some reader questions first, so don't hesitate. You know, reach out. Um, I am, again, on Twitter, I am at FTRSJoey. He is at Mike McDaniel ACC. We are at BC Podcast ACC. You can send us an email. We are bas- basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com, all one word. We've also on iTunes, we're live. You can search for us on there. We're also on the Google Play Store, so you can find us there. You can download, subscribe, review, uh, anything else that you do with other podcasts, I'm sure. Um, Mike, am I, am I missing anything here? No, we're also on SoundCloud. But um, as far as iTunes and Google Play are concerned, we've now branched out to even more avenues for you to listen to our podcast. So uh, we're starting to get further and further into it. Please, please, please send us reviews. Um, reach out to us on Twitter if you have any questions or comments about the podcast as a whole or maybe something that you want to see as far as a segment when we get into the season. Um, now's the time to kind of throw ideas out so Joey and I can adequately prepare. So um, we appreciate all of you who have listened so far. But um, four podcast episodes in and a fifth one coming next week, Joey. Yeah, no doubt. We'll be back. We'll be back next week. Uh, and for Mike McDaniel, I'm Joey Weaver. And until then... Go ACC.